This morning, we are looking at Acts 15.35 through 16.5. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Amen. Well, good morning. Leslie Flynn wrote a book called Great Church Fights, and in the book there's a story that is told of two porcupines who lived in the frigid northern woods who needed to huddle together to keep warm. And as they moved closer and closer together, you can only imagine what happened, they pricked one another with their sharp quills, and they had to move apart from each other. They truly needed one another, but unfortunately they needled each other and had to separate. As we enter into our passage this morning, Paul and Barnabas have gotten to a place in their relationship where they are needling one another. And it's causing them to move apart and to separate And we realize, as we go through this chapter, that these beautiful saints are not perfect. They're like you and me. They're human, like we are. They're sinful. And they're in need of God's forgiveness, and they're in need of extending forgiveness. And we're going to see through this chapter how God is going to work right in the middle of the mess. We are such a messy people and a messy church. But God's going to work in it. And that his perfect plan is going to happen with imperfect people like you and me. Let's pray for that this morning, shall we? Father, we truly are an imperfect people. We're sinners in need of your amazing grace and forgiveness. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit, your spirit of forgiveness would pour out upon this room. 
that as we receive your forgiveness, that we would extend that to one another. That we wouldn't separate out from each other, but that we would be drawn close to you, Father, and to one another. Do your work in our midst this morning. May we hear from your word, and may we respond to you. In your precious name, amen. Well, from last week, there was a beautiful victory of grace, foundations of the church being sent, set up. The Jewish believers were saying to the Gentiles, you must be circumcised in order to be saved. And there was the Jerusalem council. And what came through that time as they were wrestling through and laying all these things upon the Gentiles that you must follow the law of Moses, that you must be circumcised, laying on all of this Jesus plus, they finally came to a decision and they said, no, that's not the case. It's not Jesus plus. It's not circumcision and following the law of Moses, converting over to Judaism. It's grace. That you are saved by grace through faith. And God has been doing this wonderful work as they're bringing that message of grace throughout the communities and the churches. There's incredible growth. God is using Paul and Barnabas, this amazing team. And they're ministering and Gentiles are coming to the Lord and being saved. And there's growth spiritually and there's growth in numbers. But when you have a bunch of sinners living life together... Even if they have a common goal, things can get messy. We can needle one another. And we're going to see in this passage really a closer look at how the church really looks. What does life together look like in the church? And one of the things that we see in this passage is that imperfect people, they clash. They clash. And you've had that in this church body. You and I both know. We as imperfect people, as sinners, we we needle one another. And we clash and we have disagreements and we struggle with each other. This is what the real church looks like. But how is God going to continue to work in that and draw us to a place of forgiveness? Imperfect people clash. The dynamic duo, Paul and Barnabas, Paul says... Listen, I think it would be good if we go ahead and if we go and visit the churches that we set up and go encourage the saints. It's a beautiful shepherding moment. Let's go and care. Let's keep strengthening them in the Lord as disciples of Jesus Christ. This is a good thing to do. And as they're discussing this, Barnabas says, well, listen, I want to bring John Mark, my relative, with me. And as Barnabas mentions that, that I want to bring John Mark, there arises this significant quarrel between the two. In verse 38, Paul says this, I do not want to bring him, this one who has withdrawn from us. And that language is pretty strong. He fled away. He defected. He fell away from us. He abandoned us. I don't want to bring John Mark. Why did John Mark leave in the first place? We have to try to maybe 
understand that. He was a young disciple, and he was eager to serve the Lord, and he went on that first missionary journey. We know of John Mark that he was raised in a a good home, and he may have been pampered there, and he wasn't used to this rough lifestyle of going out and serving on mission. Really struggling with the way that they were doing it. They were getting attacked often on the field. He might have struggled with Paul. Paul was a, a bit like a porcupine. He could needle you. And he may have struggled with that. And maybe even struggled with the way that Paul was treating Barnabas. And didn't want to be part of that. He was devoted to his family. He may have just been young and inexperienced. He may have not wanted to suffer like they were suffering on the road. Whatever it was, John Mark left Paul and Barnabas. And both Paul and Barnabas would have said, you know what, that wasn't a good move. That was a failure. You shouldn't have done that. But he did. So we're at this place where this argument is going on, and John Mark uh, is being called into the ministry. Barnabas wants him there. Paul does not. And so why? Let's look, at, let's look at the character of Paul and the argument, and let's look at the character of Barnabas and the argument. What do we know about Paul? He was a guy who, quite honestly, he could get easily agitated. He could get upset quickly. But Paul was a natural leader. He was self-sufficient. He was independent. Paul was decisive in how he functioned. He was opinionated. He was goal-oriented. He was idealistic. He was strong personality. He was courageous and he was determined. And as the Lord called upon him, he was driven towards success in the Lord. That we're going to go and the Lord is going to use us to bring the gospel. We're going to do everything we can to bring that about and bring the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the way he functioned. But in those amazing strengths and in his leadership, he wasn't very sensitive to people's feelings. Do you know some leaders like that? They get going on a course and they sometimes just run over people on the way. Paul was kind of one of those guys. He wasn't very sensitive to what was going on around him. He lacked compassion for others in the middle of the journey. And it seems that he was pretty intolerant of mistakes. John Mark, I think maybe he held a grudge against him for for bailing on them in the middle of the journey. He was a guy who was living, I have one purpose, I'm laser focused. God has called me to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. I'm going to continue to bring the gospel. I'm not going to flee from persecution. I'm going to continue to show up. I'm going to go with my eyes fixed upon Jesus. I am going to suffer for Christ. This is what I'm called to. I will be faithful to the work of God. And John Mark is not. I need faithful men who will join me. Because this is a serious calling. And so I think Paul is saying to Barnabas, John Mark's not capable of sticking the course. He hasn't counted the cost. Scriptures speak to us in Luke 9.62. Jesus said to them, No one who puts his hand to the plow 
and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The cost of discipleship. As we choose to follow Jesus, we've got to count the cost. It's a life of hardship. It's a life of suffering. It's a life of bringing his hope and truth and life to people. It's a life of entering into the mess. To be a disciple of Jesus is not easy. And like Tyson prayed this morning, we go through suffering, all of us, and trial and tribulation. This is the cost of discipleship. We suffer as our Lord suffered. We go through what he went through. And yet in the middle of it, we also experience hope and joy and love. And we experience his, peer, his spirit working through us. That's the work and the cost of discipleship and the benefit, the harvest of that. You can't set your plow and look back. Then you don't reap the harvest, really. You know, Paul's argument... I think is pretty valid, don't you? I don't think he's a young man who's ready to count the cost. This isn't a vacation club that we're in. I think it's a good reminder for all of us. What does our following of Jesus look like? Do we think it's a life of ease? That's not what it looks like. It's a life of following Jesus into all that he wants for us. Let's look at Barnabas, his character and his argument. Barnabas was a a man who was calm, he was collected, he was easygoing, he was well-balanced. He felt deeply for people, he was kind-hearted, he was sympathetic to people. Barnabas was probably so easygoing that he just drove Paul nuts Because Paul was always setting this course. And Barnabas was a little more relaxed than that. But as a faithful servant to the Lord. Here's the reality. There's obviously a personality difference between Paul and Barnabas. It just shows up between these two men. Paul, who was was one who was determined like this. And Barnabas, whose original name was Joe. And he got the nickname, Son of Encouragement. Barnabas. Barnabas was one who would always see the best in people. You know, I just pray that for us as a body of Christ. If there's anything that I I ask the Lord that he would pour out into us, is would he give us the eyes to see the best in each other? To see the value? to To see the fact that, you know what, Christ lives in you. And he's doing a work in you. That you're a child of God. Sometimes we're so quick to judge and and we just get critical. Instead of allowing ourselves before the Lord to see the best in someone. Who is also a brother or sister in Christ. Ask the Lord to give you those eyes. Would you? Ask the Lord to help you to see what is the best in this person. And then encourage them in that. Come along their side and lift them up. This is what I see in you. Barnabas was one of those guys. Always saw the best in the people. I can imagine that as he's having this argument with Paul, that he's going, Paul, really? Do you remember when you came to Christ? 
and then nobody wanted to be around you. Do you remember that? Who's the guy who came by your side? Me. I saw in you what God was doing. I'm the guy who brought you before the apostles so that they could even take you in a little bit because they didn't want to be around you. When you were in Arabia, I'm the one who went after you in Arabia to come and encourage you and to bring you out and to remind you of what God's called you to do. I'm the one. And now you're saying no to John Mark? He was the one who always wanted to give second chances. You know, our God's a God of second chances, isn't he? And Barnabas always extended that, to give second chances. You know, there's a, there's a museum in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it's called the Museum of Failed Products. It's a graveyard for all these products that never made it onto the shelves or only lasted for a very short time. Some of the products that didn't make it through was Clairol's Touch of Yogurt Shampoo. Can you imagine? Hey, honey, could you uh, just grab me the uh, Yoplait? I need to wash up a little bit here. Clairol's Touch of Yogurt. They had, they had another, Gillette had another shampoo. I can, I can only imagine showing up at the grocery clerk with this. It says, for oily hair only. This time one, that's obvious. Hello. Yes, I'm getting for oily hair only on this shelf. It didn't make it on the shelves for the future. Then there was Pepsi's AM breakfast cola. Good morning cola. I know some of you do that in the morning. Yeah. It had caffeinated beer. That didn't make it through. It had the fortune snooky. That was a dog treat of fortune cookies for your little pet. Didn't last on the market. If the museum has a central message, the message is this. That failure is not a rarity. It's the norm. Failure is not a rarity. It's the norm. We are an imperfect people and we are going to fail. We're going to fail in life. We're going to fail each other. We're going to sin against each other. This is the normal part of walking through messy life together. And yet we have a God who's full of grace and forgiveness. And he extends that out and allows us to extend that out to each other. Imperfect people are not the rarity, but the norm. God is going to use us as imperfect people to manifest his perfect plan and what he has for his kingdom. Barnabas saw that John Mark is going to step up. He knew it. And eventually he did. He becomes the author of the Gospel of Mark and a great leader in the church. But in the middle of this argument, both men decide we are going to stand our ground. And verse 39 says... There arose a sharp disagreement. This was a big verbal fight. This wasn't a little, well, I see your opinion, and yeah, okay. And the other one said, yes, I, I kind of get you too. Let's agree to disagree. No, 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 it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't a very kind gentleman's quarrel. This was the thrilla in Manila. This was the fight of the heavyweights, and it was coming down. And the language is strong here. 
this sharp disagreement. It was intense. It was a sharp fit of anger. They were inciting each other into a quarrel, into a dispute. It was all lived out in the flesh, this disagreement. And it was such a strong disagreement. The tragedy happens. The needling is so much that they have to separate. The King James puts it this way, they departed asunder. How tragic for the church and for these two brothers who had done so much for the Lord and loved each other well and and served together. How tragic. So Barnabas leaves with John Mark and they go to Cyprus. He took him under his wing. He received him. That's the idea. He accepted him. In verse 40, Paul took Silas and they went to Syria and Cilicia to strengthen the churches there. You know, and as we read this passage, you can't help but go, so who was right? Who was right in the argument? You know what? We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that both men love the Lord. We do know that both men had strong convictions in the Lord of next steps to take. And that's just the reality of messy church and sinners living together. Here's the truth. And here's the reality. And you and I have lived this out with each other. We're going to have disagreements with one another. We are. We're going to struggle with each other. We are going to clash. That is part of the journey. And as Christians, we don't always need to agree with each other in order to be godly or righteous. Sometimes we feel, well, we just need to all get along and agree with each other. No, that's not true. In order to be godly and righteous, we can have strong disagreements. The deal is, when we disagree with each other, we need to really honor each other when we don't see eye to eye. You see, the problem wasn't so much John Mark. The problem was the way that Paul and Barnabas treated each other amidst the disagreement. The problem was they gave way to flesh. And I think it's pretty clear that in their flesh they sinned and anger really came out. That's the problem. So what do we do? If the reality is we're going to clash, if the reality is we're going to have disagreements, what's the Lord call us to do in those situations? Well, I believe he calls us to a place of seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. That we have to go to that place when we have conflict with others, when there's a quarrel and it's caused separation or it's really profound, that we stop and we say, oh God, Help me. Forgive me. I have sinned against my brother and sister. Forgive me. Lord, help me to go to my brother or sister and ask for forgiveness. And Father, if they come to me, help me to receive it if they ask for forgiveness. Father, draw us close again. Help us to love each other This is my dear brother or sister. 
and now we're separated. We've needled each other so much that we, we can't be together anymore. Help us, Lord. Ephesians 4 says this, I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, listen to these words, patience, bearing with one another in love, that's a long-suffering, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, let all Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Let those be put away. Get them into the closet. Lock the door. Listen to verse 32 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. As people who are followers of Jesus, would you be kind to one another? Would you be tender-hearted towards each other? And would you forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You can have a sharp disagreement and yet still love each other and still understand each other, respect the conviction of one another, obviously as long as it's in alignment with the word of God. But you can have a sharp disagreement and still love one another. Paul and Barnabas in that moment didn't love each other very well at all. And they sinned. Our call is to preserve the unity of the Spirit. I think one of the ways, actually, that Paul and Barnabas preserved the unity of the Spirit amidst all this quarrel is they didn't go off and they didn't start gathering people around them and saying, Oh my goodness, Paul is such a jerk. Don't you know that? And trying to get a team that would go, Yeah, you're right, he is kind of a jerk. And it's getting this support system. And Barnabas didn't do that either. He didn't get a bunch of people around, or excuse me, Paul didn't do that either and start slamming on Barnabas. We don't see that in the scriptures. Actually, we see nothing but kind words in the future. And we see reconciliation through some other text. That Paul starts to think highly of John Mark, and he actually wants him by his side. 2 Timothy 4.11 says this, Luke alone is with me, Paul is saying, Would you please get Mark, and would you bring him with you? For he is very useful. He is very good for me in ministry. And we see that there was some connection with Barnabas and Paul later in life. In Corinthians 9, speaking about about serving the Lord and, and receiving care from the flock and that, it says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Is it only us two that aren't going to receive care from the body of Christ to do ministry? So we see that they connected back together. But here's the situation. Greatest commandment. Love God. And what's the outflow of that? That we love one another. That's what we're called to. When you have a sharp disagreement... You're begging the Lord, help me to forgive, help me to love. And the Lord is very serious about the unity of the body of Christ. It's what Christ prays in John 17, right? Father, I pray. He prays for you and me. I pray 
that they would have the unity that you and I have, the love for each other that we have. Father, would you give them that unity that we experience with each other? This is Jesus' prayer for us. We shouldn't take that lightly. When we have a sharp disagreement, let us ask the Lord, Lord, preserve the unity. Don't be those that are going out and slandering and slamming on those people. Be a people who are drawing close to the Lord and then drawing back with one another. In the middle of all of the mess, what we get to see now is that God redeems the conflict with a perfect new plan of mission. You see, God is going to take what is broken and he is going to buy it back and he's going to take what is messy and imperfect and he's going to make it good. And so all of a sudden we had this one missionary team of Paul and Barnabas going out sharing the gospel. Now guess what? Out of absolute, just a bummer situation and a broken relationship, God is going to heal that, he's going to redeem it, and now he's going to send out two amazing teams to go spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was evil and sinful now becomes good. God's perfect plan played out. No, did he want them to have that quarrel? No. But did he redeem it? Yeah, he did. And that's what he does with us imperfect people. He redeems our junk, doesn't he? And then he continues to use us to serve him. All empowered by the Holy Spirit. A forgiven people moving ahead in the Lord. And so Barnabas takes John Mark with him and they go to Cyprus where where Barnabas was from and they minister there. And church history tells us that they ended up in North Africa and doing ministry there. And Paul chooses Silas and they departed being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And Silas became a wonderful new disciple. He was a Roman citizen He's probably fluent in Greek. He was the writing secretary for all kinds of letters from Paul and Peter. He was one who was a good leader in Jerusalem. He continued faithfully on the missionary journey, on the second missionary journey. Silas was a wonderful companion for Paul and a good disciple. And what God's going to do is he's going he's to have this wonderful, perfect plan. You thought you were going to go to the to the churches that you had been at. But you know what? Uh, I'm going to send you a whole other direction, actually, over to Europe. And there's going to be, we're going to see in several weeks, a call, the, the Macedonian call. And so all of a sudden, there's going to be outreach and the gospel brought to Europe, God's perfect plan, using imperfect people. Before they go to Europe, they go back to Lystra. And in that place, they gather... Timothy. Timothy would, would be known in the scriptures, and Paul would call him this, Timothy is my son. I love Timothy. He is my son. They were so close. And he goes to Lystra, goes back to one of the churches that they had ministered in, and Timothy was a wonderful young man who grew up in godliness with Eunice, his mother, and Lois, his grandmother. And it seems that he came to Christ in Paul's first missionary journey. Now, Lystra, if you remember, Lystra is that place where they go in, Paul and Barnabas go in, and they think they're gods. And they want to make them gods. 
Zeus and Hermes. Once they find out they're not gods, then they, they drag Paul out and they stone him and they leave him for dead. But during that time there, Timothy heard the gospel and it seems that he came to Christ. And so Paul goes back to that place where he was left for dead. You know that's all empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would you go back to that place? Well, because I have a perfect plan that you're going to get Timothy. You didn't know this, but this is what I'm working out amidst your brokenness with Barnabas. I'm redeeming all that stuff. Timothy was a wonderful saint, well spoken of. But here's the truth about Timothy. He was an imperfect person, and he failed. He was sent to Corinth to bring a message to the Corinthians about the way they were living. He totally failed in that attempt. Nobody listened to him. And then we see when Paul is writing from prison to Timothy in the letters to Timothy, what does he speak to Timothy? Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. Why do you keep living in timidity? Stop caring about your age. God has empowered you to bring to the gospel to the people in Ephesus, rise up in the resurrection power of the Lord and speak forth his good news. But he lived fearful and timid, imperfect. But Paul took him along and he was going to have this wonderful disciple who went on this missionary journey. And as he takes him along in verse 3, we see that Paul brought him into the different regions, and he circumcised Timothy. Now, when you read verse 3 of chapter 16, you go, you've got to be kidding me. We just went through this whole argument in all of chapter 15 in the Jerusalem council, and it was like, you don't need to be circumcised. What is going on here? Why would Timothy all of a sudden be circumcised? Well, the argument, the fight in the Jerusalem council for the future of the church was we do not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Our soul is not contingent upon whether or not we're circumcised. Once that was resolved, that it is by grace through faith alone that you are saved, then now what happened is they had the freedom to be used of God in a way that would impact the community they were in. Now, you've got to understand something. Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And so everybody would know of his Greek background, but the reality is, having the Jewish mother, you're supposed to live out the Jewish life. You're supposed to be circumcised. And as a Jew, the only way you can really have influence in your Jewish community is if you were one who was circumcised. Quite honestly, they wouldn't listen to you if you weren't. And so Paul takes Timothy, Timothy who is willing. I mean, that's a big step. Timothy who is willing. You know what? I'm going to be circumcised so that the Lord can use me in these Jewish communities to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a disciple of Jesus. Paul says this in Corinthians 9. You know what? I'm free from all men. But I've made myself a slave to all that I might win some more. To the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I by all means may save some. 
It was so worth it to become circumcised so that he could minister to the Jews. And he did. And many were saved because of Timothy. We're free. We're free. You know one of the great truths about Christianity is that a Christian is free to limit his freedom. Do you get that? As Christians, we are free to limit our freedom. We can step into any situation and go, what's the circumstance around me? And I want to love people. I want to win them for Christ. I want, I want to have every opportunity to have influence in their life. And so I can restrain things or I can do things in order to, to have that influence and that connection. Am I free to, to have a glass of wine or a beer? Yeah, I am. But if I go into a community where that's really shunned upon and, and that just doesn't make sense spiritually, I am free to go, you know what? I don't need to do that. I'm going to love my brother and sister here. I'm going to love this community in a way that I don't have to do. I'm free to choose either one. He was free to be circumcised, and he had an incredible impact. These imperfect saints continue on. They're doing ministry in the Lord. And he used those, the wonderful saints to go on. They went through the cities, and they delivered them all the beautiful decisions that have been made. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as the Gentiles will, 1511. They're delivering that message, and they're filled with joy. And even though things had been messy, even though there had been a clash and a struggle in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas, he uses these imperfect saints to continue to be used of the Lord in his perfect plan. And so the churches were strengthened. That means they were built up. They were edified. They were fed. They were growing. Not only were they strengthening the churches as imperfect people, but many were coming to know the saving grace of Jesus. What? These are people who sinned, and they had to move apart, and God redeemed it. God restored those relationships. God continued to use them as repentant sinners, saying, Lord, forgive us. Let us live for you. Numbers increased. Even with the flaws, his kingdom work was achieved. Let us be a people who rise up from our failure, from our brokenness, from our sin, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us continue to serve the Lord. Let us rise up in unity, forgiving one another, because we've needled each other. We just do that. There's got to be a lot of forgiveness, a lot of grace. He loves to use imperfect people like you and me. Repentant, forgiven sinners to accomplish his purposes. Let me finish with this verse. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. But what we have is this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are these beautiful 
broken pots, these jars of clay. Glorifying God in responding to his perfect plan. Living in his forgiveness and extending forgiveness. Living in his love and his grace. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning again that you would pour out your spirit of forgiveness. Father, forgive us when we, when we hold on to bitterness and anger. Forgive us, Father. And help us this morning even to go to a brother and sister and say, forgive me. I've been angry with you. Help us to be reconciled and to bring unity in this body. Help us, Father, to preserve the unity of your spirit here. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.